Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 13. The Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 13. As we are going through the Gospel record of Luke, we're now in a section where the Lord Jesus Christ is um, beginning to make his march to Jerusalem. And it's going to take his time, but he is heading towards Jerusalem. And there at Jerusalem, he's going, he knows he is going to be betrayed. He's going to be put on a legal trial. He knows that he's going to be tortured, crucified, and he's going to die and be put on a borrowed tomb. Well, good news is, is that on the third day, he's going to rise again. But he knows he's marching towards that. And as he's marching towards that, he is seeing that there's more and more opposition that is coming up to prevent Jesus Christ, to try to stop and derail the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where we had left off on Wednesday night is that Jesus Christ was preaching in the synagogue. And in the synagogue, there was a little widow woman who was all bent over for 18 years. And she was just being faithful. She wasn't trying to get Jesus' attention. In fact, Jewish culture had taught that someone with an infirmity, who especially of a woman, was supposed to be invisible and not seen. But Jesus saw her. And in the middle of the preaching service, he asked for her to step forward and he healed her. And that would have been great for most people. But the leader of the synagogue was so mad and upset that he mounted the pulpit, addressed the people, and began to yell about what Jesus did. It would be our equivalent that someone getting mad immediately going to social media and saying, I can't believe Jesus would do this and violate all this. And then next thing you know, you see the Sanhedrin like this post and It's that same idea that they're angry. And Jesus was right there, but he didn't address Jesus. He's addressing the crowd and ignoring the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus goes, and because the guy did it publicly, Jesus said, listen. And he asked him some questions and proved how foolish his argument was. Now with this, we are now picking up this story in progress that Jesus has already answered the man and that the man has become ashamed. And then Jesus is going to turn to the crowd and teach them a lesson based off of what they just saw. Now that's important because we have to have the correct context that we can have the right understanding, the right interpretation. Notice with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter 13. The gospel record of Luke chapter 13 and notice with me starting at verse 17. The gospel record of Luke chapter 13 and verse 17. Remember, this is a continuation of what has already occurred about the woman being healed and the man yelling at the crowd about Jesus and Jesus answering his objection. Verse 17, and when he, Jesus, had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he, that's Jesus, Unto what is the kingdom of God like? 
And whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, when a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew, and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in its branches of it. And again he said, Whereunto should I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen and has shut to the door and ye begin to stand without and knock at the door, say, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then ye shall begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that Jesus Christ refers to over and over and over again within this passage? Notice with me in verse number 18, where it has the phrase, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Once again, Jesus repeats it in verse number 20. The kingdom of God. Once again, he will repeat it in verse number 29, the kingdom of God. And with this, we could see that the Lord Jesus Christ is taking time to teach on this subject, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And Lord, as we come to you, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy. Help us to have an understanding as we define our terms, as we correctly interpret the scriptures. Lord, we want to be faithful to your scriptures, not to make it say something that I want to say or something that someone else wants it to say. That we could have correct interpretation, understanding it, applying the rules of proper hermeneutics, of seeing what the Bible says. And that we could learn the lesson that you are teaching here. And that you would draw all men to yourself. Lord, thank you. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus Christ is continuing his earthly ministry, he speaks often of the kingdom of God. And now is a good time as any to define our terms. What is he referring to dealing with the kingdom of God? When he deals with the kingdom of God, what he's referring to 
is what God's work is doing here on earth. The work of God here on earth. Now, the kingdom of God has two aspects of it. First of all is the spiritual kingdom, meaning what God is doing on this earth right here and now is he's setting up a spiritual kingdom, meaning that people are getting saved, people are being brought to the Lord, that God is doing a work to draw people to him. That's the kingdom of God and it is a spiritual work. Later on, another aspect of the same kingdom is when Jesus Christ is going to come down and he is going to physically rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years and sets up what we commonly call the millennial kingdom. But the kingdom of earth is what God is doing here on this earth. Right now, it's a spiritual kingdom, and later on, he is going to set up a physical kingdom. Now, that's important because we want to discern uh, these terms and understand what he is doing. Now, with this, remember the context that a religious ruler has just mean tweeted him, has just publicly yelled about Jesus to a crowd, and has said that Jesus is wrong. Well, of course, Jesus was not wrong, and Jesus fixed that objection, and of course, now the man is ashamed. While he has the crowd's attention, he begins to teach some things about the kingdom of God. First of all, we have the parable of the abnormal mustard seed. This is important because it's different than the parable of the mustard seed. This is the parable of the abnormal mustard seed. Let's describe what we're talking about. Verse number 17 talks about uh, this reaction that the people are now listening, that the adversaries are ashamed. And when he had said these things, his adversaries were ashamed and the people were rejoicing for the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he, and he begins to teach this parable, unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? Now let's pause. We're talking about what God is doing here on this earth. The context is also that we have a religious ruler who is against what Jesus Christ is doing, who is pretending to be righteous. Remember, that's what the Pharisees were. They pretended to be righteous and they were not. And many people had been deceived by them. We'll see that in just a second. Re-emphasize, but notice if you don't mind. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden. And it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. All right? Now, this requires just a little bit of understanding about plants and specifically the mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed, many of you would understand and know that the mustard seed is one of the tiniest seeds. If I was to drop it into the carpet, you'd never see it again. It would just disappear. And yet, from this mustard seed, a great shrub can grow. Now, in here, it says that it grew and waxed a great tree. This is something that we start noting. The mustard seed is a shrub and not a tree. Shrubs do not get as large as trees. They can get pretty large. There are some mustard seeds that, that are trees that can grow at proportions, but it's not common there are shrub. But notice how strong this, this plant becomes. 
is that the fowls of the air lodge in the branches of it. Normally this is a type of shrub that would not be, its branches would not be able to carry the weight of most birds. Alright, so we know something about mustard seeds normally. Here we have a mustard seed that turns into a mustard tree, which is an abnormal growth of it. Notice something else that it says. It was frequented by birds, the fowls of the air lodged in the branches. Now we know earlier that when Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower, you guys remember that? That the, they threw the seed down and when it threw the seed on the pavement that those dirty birds would take the seed. Okay? This is still using that same symbology. Here are these birds that are inside of this abnormal growth of the tree. Now, a lot of the people who study this will have a different idea of it, but they always ignore the birds. Here, we know that being consistent with what Jesus has taught before using the same symbology, these birds are waiting to take the seed. Now, here we have an abnormal growth. What are we talking about? Are you, am I just rambling? What's going on? Well, during the time of Christ, the, um, Israel was under the displeasure of God. The church was inserted into history as a temporary measure. But what God is describing, as this is a picture of what God is trying to do on this earth, what he's doing is foreshadowing something we call Christian dumb. Christian dumb. Christian dumb is different than Christianity. Christian dumb is something that we refer to as an umbrella of everything that is referred to under Christianity. So if someone says I'm a Christian, you're under this. If someone says that it might be a Christian, then it's under this. Let's give an example. Most of us in here would not recognize Mormons as true Christianity. We would understand, right? Nod your head. All right. But it would fit under the umbrella of Christian dumb because it has something to do with Christ of some sort. Does that make sense? We would not count the Jehovah's Witnesses as true Christianity, correct? But it would be called Christian dumb because it would be, has some sort of association with Christ. Does that make sense? So not everything under that umbrella is true biblical Christianity. Does that make sense? And so what it's talking about is a foreshadow of what's going to happen is that this abnormal growth, instead of having natural growth and growing like it should, it's going to grow abnormally and it's going to grow to the place where it's a monstrosity instead of a natural growth. And inside of its branches, you're going to have those dirty birds who are waiting to snatch the word of God from away from people. This is called American Christianity. Where you have so many things done in the name of Christ today. You have Christian rock concerts. You have uh, Christian... There's so many things. There is in Arizona a place where it's called Bible and Beer. Where you could go into a bar-like setting and put back some cold ones and talk about the Bible with your friends. In Tennessee, they have something called the anti-church. Where they say, the lost world says, hey, we like the getting together. And we like the songs you sing because most of those songs have taken out the name of Christ. And so it's just good inspirational songs. And we like hearing encouraging messages. So we're just going to have it. We're just not going to call Christ. But they actually use the same stuff. 
They have today Christian pornography. That is a thing. Don't look it up. But that's a real thing. What has happened is that we have so many things that call itself Christianity. And what happens is that you have those dirty birds that are stealing any of the word of God from people. And yet people are happy to say, well, I'm part of this Christian family. I'm a Christian. Oh, look, because I call myself Christ. And it is abnormal growth and it is deceiving and fooling people. We'll get all of that in the context and see how dangerous this deception is. But Jesus is trying to say, let me tell you, let me warn you that there is going to be an abnormal growth and there's going to be a lot of those dirty birds that are trying to take away the seed and trying to deceive people. You know, one of the things is that you have good non-discerning Christians who think, well, any church is good. That's not true. They said, well, you're just being mean. No, I'm trying to tell the truth. There are many churches right now in this area that is not teaching the Bible. And they're not teaching salvation. And they're not saying trusting in Christ. They may be giving an encouraging message. It may be an uplifting message. It may be an inspirational message, but not a Bible message. And the people are glad to have it because the people come in the church building and leave the very same way they came in. Biblical Christianity is made to change us from the inside out. And someone who could come to a Bible church they're going to listen to the Bible and God is going to do something in their life. He's going to be trying to work and he's going to try to draw from them. Today, inside of our area, there are people who will go to a church. Now, I'm not trying just to preach on churches, but I'm trying to preach the context, try to give us understanding. There are people who will come and listen to church music and they'll wave their hands up and they'll have the lighter and tears will go down their face. And then the message will come and they have to endure the message now that the concert's over. And then they will leave. And they say, I had a wonderful time at church. That's because they had an emotional experience, but not a spiritual experience. And there is a lot of things that are going on in the name of Christ that is not biblical. Just because someone calls themselves a Christian doesn't make the music that they write or perform Christian. Just because someone calls themselves a Christian doesn't mean the book that they put out is Christian. Just because someone goes to a church doesn't make them a Christian. But what has happened is that people are deceived, not just in America, but everyone, but America is the great picture of it. There is so many things that are done that is not pleasing to God and is not true worship to God and God won't accept their worship. See other messages for that. That are done in the name of Christ. And the people think just because they has Christ's name on it. Because it calls itself a church. It must be good. And it must be acceptable. And what is happening in this spiritual warfare. Is that any tiny bit of the word of God that may leak out. Is immediately snatched up and ignored. And it doesn't change people's lives. This is an abnormal growth. Now remember the context. Jesus just got through preaching a message and some religious leader got in the way and tried to downgrade everything that Jesus just did. Exactly what is going on today in the name of Christ. Think about history. 
People in the name of Christ have killed people in crusades. People in the name of Christ have done inquisitions where they killed all kinds of people. None of that was biblical and none of that was Christian. But yet people go back and see what the Christians did. That wasn't us. But yet it's attributed to Christ. And there's a lot of atrocities and a lot of evil things that are going on in Christ's name. That is not biblical and not approved of Christ. And it drives people further away. If someone is looking for hope, do they want to go to a Bible and beer service? Not if they're looking for hope. Not if they're looking for truth. Not if they're looking for something to change their life. A rock concert, it doesn't matter if it has Christ's name in it or not, is not going to give people hope in hopeless days. It's the Word of God that changes lives. And yet it's the word of God that is not getting out to the people in churches and concerts and everything that is done. Even Christian psychology books. You can look in Christian psychology books and not even find the name of Christ in any of them. There's something wrong. There's an abnormal growth. And it is harmful to people. And Jesus is warning over it. We see first of all the parable of the abnormal mustard seed. Well, Jesus goes on to try to re-emphasize what I'm just saying. I'm just repeating what he's saying. But we see something else. The parable of the leaven hidden in meal. The parable of the leaven hidden in meal. Now, once again, we want to be consistent with our interpretation. There is no reference of leaven that is not used in a good way. What do I mean by that? Every time the word leaven is used, it is always to show corruption. Every time. So therefore, if every time leaven is used, we also have to put that same principle here. Every time the word leaven is used, it is used in a bad connotation. Notice with me in verse 20. And again, he said, whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid. Notice this is one of the key words here, hid. It carries the idea that it was done stealthily. It was not done openly. It was done in secret. It was woman took and hid three measures of meal till the whole was leaven. Now, for those of you who may not be bakers, in order to make bread rise, you have to add a secret ingredient called yeast or leaven. And it doesn't matter where you put the leaven at. The whole leaven is going to affect the entire loaf. It's just not going to affect a small segment. It's going to affect the whole thing. That's why the picture of leaven is so important that you put a little leaven, it will affect the whole substance. So let's imagine Jesus is talking about the same context. What shall I like in the kingdom of God like? All right, here you go. Imagine that you have a loaf that is made and it's made to be bread. Remember Jesus Christ said, I'm the bread of life. It's supposed to be the right picture. Here's a woman that came in secret. No one's looking. And she in secret put some leaven in and it messed up the whole loaf. And sometimes you don't even see the effects of it till it's too late. And once again, it's having this picture of Christian dumb. Now, it happens to be, remember this, he, she said three uh, leaven, which a measure went, hid three measures of meat, meal. Well, isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ identified three types of leaven 
and his own ministry, or and the ministry of the the um, Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. First of all, we have the leaven of the Herodians. The leaven of the Herodians is hypocrisy. Jesus identifies this. I'm just repeating what he said. The leaven of the Herodians is, sorry, the leaven of the Herodians is worldliness and materialism. Forgive me. I'll, I'll get them all. The Herodians, this leaven is worldliness. What does that mean? Well, the Herodians were a political party who believed that the government was the answer to all of their problems. That we have a spiritual problem, then we go to the government and we'll get the government to fix it. All they could see is the material world. They could see money, power. But let me tell you, you can't legislate morality. You could pass as many laws as you want and it does not change the hearts. So we could have, you name an issue. We have hot button topic. We have uh, the idea of same-sex marriages. We have the idea of, of uh, abortions. That's the big one now. Let me tell you, you could pass all the laws that you want on abortion and it will not change people's hearts. What do they need? They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You could pass all the laws that you want and it will not bring revival and it will not bring change. People need to come to a personal relationship with the Lord. But the idea of the leaven of the Herodotans is that they want to be able to legislate morality and change things. Then you have the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of Pharisees is hypocrisy. Jesus dealt with that all of, over. The leaven of the the Pharisees are people who look religious. They looked right on the outside, but on the inside, they are so far away from God. Let me tell you, nothing drives people further from God than hypocrisy within the church. When I deal with people and they said, oh, I used to go to church. Well, why don't you go to church no more? Because of hypocrites. Yes, they're all over and they're found in it. People trying to be religious, but you give them a chance and they're mean and they're horrible and they treat people awful. But then they say, they justify it because I'm a Christian, because I'm saved, because I go to church. No, that doesn't match. And Jesus warned against that. We understand <coughs> there was another one, the leaven of the Sadducees. The leaven of the Sadducees are the people who deny miracles and deny God's power. Someone said that's why they're so sad, you see, is because they don't believe in God's power and they don't believe in the miracles. And there are plenty of, of <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> there are plenty of examples of all three of those within the American Christian church. You have churches that gather together for the purpose, we call them in the 80s and 90s, the religious right. And they tried, if we get the right people in office, if we get the right person to be president, if we got the right people to be senator, then the world will change and we'll have revival. And let me tell you, it did not. It didn't affect it. And they put all of those efforts and it did not work because you cannot legislate morality. And there are so many Christians who give themselves to social causes, who give themselves trying to honestly help the world, but the world does not need a band-aid. It does not, the world does not need to become a better place in which to go to hell. People need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, there's plenty of Pharisees, plenty of religious people. Oh, look how spiritual I am. Normally, the more spiritual they think they are, the more they have to talk about it, the more they give themselves away. Let me tell you, if you're godly, you don't have to tell everybody how godly you are. If you're truly humble, you don't have to tell everybody how humble you are. 
If you're close to the Lord, you don't have to tell people how close to the Lord. All they have to do is spend some time with you and they can find out how close to the Lord you really are. And then there's Sadducees. The people who deny the Bible. They, the Bible's not true. They want to explain it away. There's no such thing as miracles. You don't need to bother praying. And yet, they still go to church. There are preachers today who will tell people the Bible's not true. They'll erode people's faith. They will tell them you don't need to listen to the Bible. You don't need to read the Bible. There are many people in churches that are taught don't even bring your Bible to church. How do I know? Because when you get here, I work very hard to get you to bring your Bible here. Because that's how people are trained today. And that's Christian dumb. That's American Christianity. And it does more harm than good. And it pushes people further away. And Jesus Christ is saying, how do I explain what's going on? Let me give this illustration of the abnormal uh, mustard seed. Let me give this illustration of this hidden meal. This lady who's putting us in. And it's messing up the whole loaf. Do you know that a lot of people laugh at the church? Because of how silly we are? How many times does the church try to imitate the world... Let me tell you, the church cannot reproduce Hollywood, nor should it try. It cannot reproduce Nashville, nor should it try. But the church seems to want to imitate the world and be just like the world. And the world does not need an imitation of itself. It needs something different. And yet, because the church tries to be just like the world... We're doing less and less good and more and more harm. Ask this question. Has the world hurt the church or has the church hurt the world? Think about that. Why? Because of this abnormal growth. Because we don't follow after Christ. Because we've allowed this other stuff to get mixed in and it has made it worse. And now the world doesn't live. You know, there was a time when a preacher could go up to a mayor, go to a sheriff and say, don't do this. This isn't right. And they would think about it. Now you have a Christian that stands up and say, you shouldn't do this. We get laughed at because we have no influence because there's no holiness, no righteousness, and we're not close to the Lord. And they laugh at us and they can't take us seriously anymore. Jesus warned about this coming up, which now brings to the main part of this message. Jesus kicked this off by trying to explain how the world is going to end up. Now let's see these results. Let's see the straight gate. The straight gate. Notice with me verse 22. And he went and went through the cities and the villages teaching, journeying towards Jerusalem. Now again, we've already said this, but here's the verse speaking of this. He's making his march towards Jerusalem. He's now heading there. Then one of him said, to, or then said one unto him, Lord... Are there few that be saved? And he said unto him. Now here's a good question. Here's a guy that says, we just listened to you talk about this Christendom. We just heard you talk about these things. And sometimes gone on, they're processing this. Are there few that be saved? There's a lot of people who profess to be Christians in America. How many of them are really saved? That's a good question. There's a lot of people who are religious how many of them are really saved? There's a lot of people who go to church. How many of them are really saved? That's a good question. 
Notice how Jesus answers him though. Verse number 24. Strive to enter in the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter and shall not be able. Now this straight gate is a specific type of gate that not only is it a straight path, but there would be something on the sides of it to allow only that one thing to go through. Let's, uh, some airports have it, that if you're trying to go up an escalator or something, they have a little um, barrier between it to allow you to go in, but you can't bring luggage behind you. It's to keep from allowing those things. You have to go take your luggage some other path. Does that make sense? The straight gate would only allow that individual to go through, not all the stuff that he's trying to bring with him. And Jesus said, strive to enter the, the straight gate that you may um, enter in and shall not be entered. Verse 25, One, and when, when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he shall answer unto them and say, I know Ye not whence you are. Do you know that there's a time coming where Jesus says, all right, we're done. And you won't have a chance to respond anymore. And no matter how much you knock, no, Jesus, I changed my mind. I'll accept you now. Too late. And then you shall say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence and thou have taught in the streets. Here's the objections. Lord, we were with you. We heard you teach. We ate of the miracle bread that you had. We heard these other things. We were with you. You know what? You can hang out at religious places. You could go to church. Doesn't mean you're saved. Amen. Verse 27. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not. Those are some haunting words. Do you know, you could be religious and not be saved. You could go to church, you can memorize verses and not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. In fact, may I say that's one of the biggest problems in the South, in the Bible Belt, is that you have a lot of religious people. They know that they're sinners. They know that they deserve to go to hell. They know that Jesus paid their price. But they're still going to hell. Why? Even though they know Jesus saved them? Yes, because they never personally accepted the gift of salvation from God. There must be a time in your life where you personally ask God for this gift. There must be in a time in life, it is an event where you must be born again. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, ye must be born again. And if you're not born again, you're not one of his you're not part of his family. You're part of the neighbor kids. He says, I know you not. This carries the idea of intimate knowledge. I don't know you. I may have seen you around, but I don't know you. You're not part of my family. He says, let me tell you what you are. Whence you are, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. He says, listen, you're the neighbor kid. You have your father, the devil. You're a sinner. You're not saved. You're not one of mine. I'm not opening the door. I don't know who you are. It's too late. You know there's other pictures in the Bible where it was too late. Think about Noah's Ark. Noah preached for 120 years. It says in the Bible that he was a preacher of righteousness. He warned the people that God was going to send destruction. And that the only way for you to get saved from that destruction was to get on the boat. 
And that you need to get on the boat before it was too late. Get on the boat. So much so that God put him on the boat. Put all the animals. And God left the door open for seven days. There was an open time for people to get in. There was a time where people could still respond. It wasn't this Mo, uh, that Noah got on the ark and then the door was shut. Seven days. A seven day invitation. Telling everyone respond. 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 And then God shut the door. Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door. And the rain began to follow. And people began to travel all over. Going through this water falling from the sky that never happened before. And they get. They make their way to the hill where this ark was built on. Begin to knock. Noah let me in. Let me in. Let me in. And the only words they could hear was too late. Too late. Too late. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Is that now is an open invitation. If you don't know without a doubt that you've been born again. You may be religious, but that doesn't count. You may go to church, that doesn't count. You may say, I got baptized. I'm a member of a church. My parents are Christians. I own a Bible. I'm an American. It does not count. You must come to the place where you become born again. And you accept Christ as your Savior and you're placed into His family. Otherwise, when it is too late, the only thing that you'll hear is too late. I know thee not. Notice what Jesus said in continuation with this. Verse 28. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a colloquial term for that, that time which carries the idea of anguish and agony. That you're weeping and that you gnash your teeth. You grind your teeth and you're so upset. Why are they so upset? When ye shall see Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and ye yourselves thrust out. There's a time where it'll be too late. And in the millennial kingdom, the only people that could go into the millennial kingdom are saved people. The millennial kingdom starts with no lost people. And they have to accept Christ as their savior. Otherwise, it'll be too late. But notice, in verse 24, the man had said in verse 23, are there few that be saved? Jesus turns it around and basically what he's saying is, listen, that's not the question you should be warned about is, are there few that be saved? The question you should be worried about is, are you saved? Are you you save. Notice he said in verse 24, he said, strive to enter in at that straight gate. The word strive, the Greek word that's used there is, turns into our English word of agonize. Agonize. And it comes from a sports world where someone who's going to be trained for the Olympic, they're going to agonize. They're going to strive. They're going to work hard of winning their race. If I am going to become a runner in a marathon, there's certain things that I'm not going to do in order to win the race. I'm not going to eat a pound of ice cream before I go run my race. 
I choose not to do that. There are certain things I choose not to do, but there's going to be training I put my body through. And by the way, anyone who exercises, you may enjoy it, but there are times that you don't. It's work. It's agonizing. You, you, you strain your body in order to become the specimen that you're supposed to. Here Jesus said, strive, agonize to enter in the straight gate. Now this is a, a very interesting word. It underlines the need, the call for a desperate need. It is a picture of multitudes of people who never bothered with their soul salvation until the door was shut. Jesus says, you need to worry about this now before it's too late. You need to think about eternity. There are so many people who never think about eternity. They never think about their relationship between the Lord. They never think, where am I going if I was to die? Jesus said, now's the time to think about this. Now's the time to get it settled. This is desperate. It's not, I'll take care of it later. So many of us who are soul winners will talk to our loved ones, talk to people. And they said, oh, I'll deal with it later. I'll wait till I stand before God and he'll sort it out. Jesus said, agonize, strive, deal with it now. Don't take it for granted. Know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. We deal with people all the time. Well, I don't know. I don't think anybody can know for sure. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have everlasting life. God doesn't want you to hope or think or guess. He wants you to know and know without a doubt. This is that idea of agonize. Don't take it for granted. I meet people all the time. Well, I've been part of a church. Listen, I never take it for granted that anyone is saved. I had a song leader who was the song leader of the church for 13 years. He got saved. There was a church I was an assistant to the pastor to. We had a deacon get saved. They all need saved. But he got saved. And when he got saved, and he made a public profession and said, Listen, I've been religious all of my life, and I thought I had it nailed down, but I didn't. All of a sudden, we had 10 people in the church who stood up and said, I need to get saved. Listen, don't play with this. Don't take it for granted. Jesus said, get this settled. Don't, don't just let this float off. Don't let this just be a thing where I hope so, I guess so. I'll let God sort this out. Know that you know that you know. This is important. It does matter where you're spending eternity. I can't. It baffles me when people say, well, you know, I, I think I'll be all right. No, this is more important for you to risk everything on. You need to know what the Bible has to say. Which is a question I want to ask you. Are you 100% sure from the Bible? Meaning, if I asked you, are you sure you're going to heaven? If you say yes, can you show me from the Bible? If you cannot show me from the Bible, may I say that there's something wrong? I don't want you to struggle with this and I don't want you to guess. I don't want you to say, well, my grandma's saved. Doesn't matter. Well, I go to church. It doesn't matter. Well, I've been baptized as a baby. It doesn't matter. Do you know that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ your Lord? Has there been a time where you've been born again? Can you show me from the Bible the promise that you trusted on? If not, let me tell you, I'm not against you, friend. 
I'm for you. I want you to get it nailed down. I'm not trying to make you feel like you're not ever going to heaven. I'm trying to say that I'm trying to shake you so much that if you don't know for sure, I want you to get it sure. I want you to have it nailed down. It'd be my privilege to take an open Bible and show you from God's word how you could trust it for yourself. Dear friend, this isn't something to play with. This isn't something to just take it lightly. Jesus said, agonize, strive for it. Make sure that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. Have it down a mile deep. Because there's nothing more important than this question. Because one day, it will be too late. And eternity is a long, long time. Dear friend, I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation. I'm trying to shake you so it is settled. If you're saved, I'm trying to get it nailed down so that way you never doubt. And dear friend, if you don't know for sure, the greatest thing that could happen to you today is to get it nailed down. That you know without a doubt. That you could walk out of here saying, I know and I'm, there's no doubt in my mind. That's what Jesus is trying to tell this man. That's what he's trying to clarify. He's trying to say there's a lot of religion out there, but religion doesn't get you to heaven. Just because it calls itself Christian, it does not save you. The only thing, verily, verily, I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.